Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that consistently brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into everything you're talking about in football. I mean, McGarry, and with me as always is Dr. Duncan Castles. Today we'll be bringing you news and updates on Manchester United, Liverpool, Barcelona, Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain, amongst others. We will start, Duncan, with uh, a story that you broke with regards to Eric Bailly, the Manchester United centre-back, and his contract situation at Old Trafford. And uh, new developments by uh, extending or not his contract and indeed um, conversations with, apparently, the consummate man-manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah, we reported recently that um, Manchester United opened contract talks with Bailly, who has just over a year in his current deal remaining. Um, End of this season, he will go into his final season and United have been trying to tie him down to a long-term contract. They've told him that they have faith in him. They see him as part of their plans. They've offered him a pay rise. Um, And the talks, I'm told, were going well. Um, And the likelihood was, the expectation was, that Bailly was going to accept that increase uh, in pay and new contract at Manchester United until last week when... Ole Gunnar Solskjaer um, decided to leave Bailly out of the team uh, to play Milan away in Europa League um, by having played in previous rounds of uh, the competition and having played um, in the first leg against Milan and and his expectation being that he would be allowed to retain his place because his performances had been good uh, and uh, and demonstrate and continue to fight to displace one of Harry Maguire or Victor Lindelof as a starting first-choice centre-back going forward. Baye, I'm told, realised he was not going to be selected. Um, He responded in what I'm told was a disrespectful manner to Solskjaer. Um, by himself, I think, has accepted that his behaviour was not appropriate and subsequently apologised to Solskjaer for what he did and also, I'm told, apologised to his teammates for what he did. What hasn't changed, however, I'm told, is his position on um, his treatment from Solskjaer and that his analysis that he has not been getting a fair opportunity from the manager and that um, the time has come to, to change things. He believes that matters are not going to alter if he signs that new contract at United and he wants to be playing football. And at present, his thinking is that he needs to go to another club this summer 
in order to re-establish himself as a starting footballer um, in the highest level of the game. He turns 27 soon. He's made 100 appearances over his five seasons at Manchester United. Um, his best season at Manchester United was his first season when he, he kind of, I think, caught everyone by surprise or the majority of people by surprise by how confident and dominant and aggressive he was in defence. He's been hindered by injuries, I think, basically ever since then, and that's limited his playing time. But his playing time has also been limited by the decisions of the manager over who to play in defence. Um, I understand that as part of those contract discussions, he held conversations with Solskjaer and asked him about playing time and whether he could guarantee him playing time if he signed a new contract. And Solskjaer's answer, I'm told, was that he couldn't. And that has uh, contributed to Bailly's doubts over whether Manchester United is the correct place to be. Now, I'm not being told that the situation is re resolved. I'm not being told that it is definitely the case that Bailly will leave Manchester United in the summer. There are complications there, um, not least of these being that Manchester United value him at at least 20 million euros, a player that they signed for an initial 35 million euros in, um, from Villarreal. And uh, the difficulty in the current marketplace uh, with COVID affecting the revenues of every club in football, of finding um, a good place for him to play who could pay him a good wage and give him that opportunity to establish himself where he thinks he should be. I think we said in the previous podcast, he basically backs himself to displace Maguire or Lindelof from Manchester United's first team, given a fair and meritocratic um, decision-making process from the manager. But what has happened over the past week is that he's lost faith in ever getting that from Solskjaer. He's angry with what's going on. And um, I think what, what happens with this over the next days, um, once he's calmed down, once he has another think about the situation, will determine where this goes. We told you on the podcast several occasions that United are in the market for a new centre-back in the summer. That is also a factor here um, that if you're looking at it from Bailly's perspective, although he's being told by the club, you're important to us, we want to retain you. He also knows that they're in the market for a new centre-back to start alongside Maguire, that that's being driven by Solskjaer. Um, and in principle, that would move him down from third-choice centre-back to fourth-choice centre-back with, with more of a, of a fight um, to to try and um, win to get himself into the starting team. And of course, it didn't help that Lindelof uh, started against Leicester City in the FA Cup quarterfinal as well on Sunday. Um, it's quite amusing, but um, I, I, was, I did hear uh, from someone at the club that there is a joke going around about Lindelof being... Um, Solskjaer's Scandi love child, uh, <laughs> which uh, probably will annoy by, uh, but amuses everyone else in the dressing room uh, with regards to the fact of his favouritism for um, the uh, for Lindelof over by. Um, 
does raise questions, Duncan, as I, I made reference to this in the opening remark about uh, people saying, then Luke Shaw, in fact, recently said, uh, very recently said that Solskjaer was one of the best man managers he'd ever played under, etc., etc. And yet this doesn't seem to be good man management because clearly Baye is a, a quality player, um, but if you don't keep him on side, then first of all, he's not going to, you know, he's going to be a, a problem, um, and which he has been, obviously, in this fallout. But also uh, for the club, he won't sign a new contract and therefore he will devalue uh, himself in the transfer market, which, of course, is probably good for the player, but bad for the club. Good for the player if you have people available to buy you for the asking price that, that Manchester United will look for in the summer. Um, the problem by faces here is he could refuse to sign that new contract um, nobody comes in with an appropriate offer of, of a transfer fee that United accept. They keep him on the books and he effectively will be looking at next to no playing time for an entire season because Solskjaer will push to get that new centre-back in, his preference for Maguire, and who he's you know, completely wedded to because that's his record signing and the, the man he decided to rebuild the defence around, rebuild the club around and give the captaincy to. Um, so you look then at another year with very little football, and yes, you can leave on a free transfer, but what kind of free transfer can you achieve if clubs are looking at your performance statistics and, and the, the limited amount of playing time you would have over the last six seasons, it would be at that stage, um, and saying, well, we're not prepared to, to give you the kind of contract that you could have had a year ago. It's, it's a more complex situation than normal. You're right to cite Luke Shaw's interview. What he said about Solskjaer was that his man management is second to none. Uh, the way he conducts himself in terms of how he speaks to the players, it gets, gets the best out of them. You can see that he deals with situations perfectly in terms of what is needed, especially at a big club like Manchester United. And he finishes off and says, for me, especially from what I had before Ollie came in, it is a total difference. It's pushed me to a new level. Now, you're right. I think if you asked Eric Bailly in an interview where he was allowed to speak his mind um, and, and it wasn't uh, analysed by the club to see if he'd uh, broken rules of his contract, he would not be saying the same thing about Solskjaer. Um, so this man management thing, it's, it's certain players. And there is no question that in Luke Shaw's case, he is playing better as his best football of his time at Manchester United. From an attacking perspective, he, he has become a, an important force. He's gone from a player who barely contributed to goals um, for the first few seasons of his time at Manchester United to one who is contributing on a regular basis. I think personally, and you know, talking to people's job is to, to analyse opponents and spot weaknesses and defences, I think defensively he hasn't improved a great deal. I think he still has those um, problems of being in the wrong position, problems of, of not getting himself back to track players. I think if you go through goals that Manchester United have conceded this season, look where Luke Shaw has been on the pitch. There are a number of times where he has his defensive contribution has resulted in the opposition scoring goals. In fact, in some of the games where he got the most credit, 
the Liverpool FA Cup win, he was almost directly responsible for uh, two of the Liverpool goals and also let Mo Salah in for the opportunity to score a third, which would have given them uh, the lead in that game. So it's there, there are elements which are good in Solskjaer's handling of Luke Shaw and there are elements where he hasn't managed to improve him in what he's supposed to be a defender. And, you know, Luke Shaw has obviously got a biased perspective on this because he struggled through his time at Manchester United. He had two managers who weren't convinced from a defensive perspective and he now has a manager who picks him first choice, even uses him at centre-back from time to time. And even having had quite a substantial amount of money invested in a, another left-back in, in the summer window. If what Luke Shaw says is true, and of course that is a subjective opinion, uh, as you've pointed out, Duncan, um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the man-manager, gets the best out of players. Does that mean that these players aren't good enough because uh, Solskjaer himself has become the king of the quarterfinal and not getting anywhere anywhere after the quarterfinal, as we well, saw he, the weekend he's in, been, in the he's been to, He's been to many semi-finals it's getting into the final and winning stuff is the problem for Solskjaer yeah so if what Shaw says is correct um, a trophyless Manchester United under Solskjaer uh, who according to Shaw gets the best out of his players means that either he's not very good as a manager or the players aren't good enough or maybe a combination of both well, trophyless for sure. Um, that defeat to Leicester City, which was comprehensive um, and, and included some bizarre selection in that he, he rested his, his best player, Bruno Fernandes, for a game, which was Manchester United's last chance to win a domestic trophy this season, which was their last chance to stop themselves, Manchester City, um, from emulating... Manchester United's greatest achievement as a club, their, their uh, 1999 treble of the FA Cup, Premier League and Champions League and Manchester City are on course for that. In fact, they could even go one better. They're in the League Cup final. So that has gone down badly with some Manchester United supporters that he plays a weakened team in a game where they had the opportunity to make the semi-final. Five changes, Duncan. It wasn't just Fernandez who was dropped. It was five changes from the Milan game. Yeah, um, and prioritising the Milan game over the FA Cup. Um, the FA Cup, you would argue, certainly an, a shorter path to winning silverware. Um, you've done this after that uh pre-match press conference he gave where he talked about winning trophies being an ego thing um, rather than and the, the more important thing being to finish high up in the league than to, to win silverware saying that silverware could hide the, the flaws in his side um, I look I don't think he's a brilliant man manager I don't think he's good a man manager as Luke Shaw says he is I think he is good as a man manager I think that's one of the better sides of him he's he's a likable individual the criticisms I hear from the players of him are not so much about his personality they're about um, his tactical decisions and uh, and selection decisions and uh, game changes within matches um, certainly the squad is capable of doing better um, this squad is capable of winning trophies 
it's it's one of the strongest teams with a lot of depth, a lot more depth than it's had at any time since Sir Alex Ferguson was manager. They've got six top class international centre midfielders on the books alone. Um, a lot of options in attack. They are capable of winning trophies. And, and it's more for me to do with his decision making and other elements of the of the management that is costing them. And you know that that defeat took Solskjaer's run of consecutive attempts to win a trophy to 22 without winning a single one, last one being the Norwegian Cup in 2013. As we said in the last podcast, it's probably no coincidence that he's talking about trophies being an ego thing when um, he hasn't had any of them to feed his ego for quite some time. To be fair, he was up against the uh, coaching mastermind that is Buck Rogers. So, um, you know, we've got to give him some leeway there. Uh, he was never going to outsmart the great man. <laughs> well, he... He, he didn't make it easy for himself, did he? And and look at the goals. <laughs> look at the goals that Manchester United conceded in that game. The first one is Harry Maguire passing to Fred, um, putting the ball between two strikers who are pressing him, uh, Vardy and Ian Acho, with Tielemans coming heavily down on Fred. Now, Fred makes a mess of his back pass, but he's put in a horrible situation there. And if you watch um, what... And look before... Maguire passes the ball. Look at the options he has. He has Alex Tellez free at left back. He has Aaron Wambasaka free at right back. He has Lindelof relatively free to the side of him. He could even go back to Henderson if he wanted to. And that is part of Solskjaer's coaching. He's telling the players to play from the back. In fact, after the game, he said, yes, I want them to build from the back. And it, and we get the benefits from it. But it's not the first time that United have been caught out. And the information I have from within the camp is that, yes, he's telling them to play from the back, but he's not giving them, giving them a strategy as to play the ball out carefully and effectively from the back. It's more, I want you to pass from the back, so you go and do it. And then Maguire does something like he did in that match, which is he's passing from the back when he shouldn't be, we shouldn't be taking that pass on because they don't have a structure set up to move the ball out from defence, cost them a goal at a key moment. The, the third goal, a horrendous set-piece defending, um, very bad result of zonal marking. How many times have we seen that from Manchester United this season? And then the second goal, they just walk through um, United's midfield. Uh, it's, it's a straightforward one-two around Fred and then shot on goal. And again, something we've been commenting on when we've been talking about Manchester United looking for a new goalkeeper Dean Henderson doesn't look great on that shot. Uh, it's not an easy shot to save, but it's a shot you will see goalkeepers saving. And Henderson has now had, in these opportunities, he's had to demonstrate that he's good enough to replace De Gea as, as first-choice goalkeeper. He's now had, I think, three incidences of shots that have gone in where you'd expect him to either get closer to the ball, maybe save it some of the time, or um, or definitely save as he did, as he you would have expected in the, the, the goal that Milan finally got to count in the Old Trafford leg after they'd had a very good one ruled off by a, a ridiculous VAR decision. Regular listeners will uh, forgive me for sounding like a broken record, but I've never seen a zone score a goal, uh, and therefore why you would mark the zone uh, always eludes me instead of marking the man 
who will score it. Uh, in terms of uh, Manchester United, obviously uh, they still have the Europa League to play for, Duncan, and also a place in the top four. Lots of speculation as well regarding if Solskjaer doesn't make Europe, then maybe, just maybe, the, the contract talks that we talked about in the pod last week um, will be postponed uh, or cancelled completely, um, and they will look for a new manager, which is something that Jeannie Wijnaldum at Liverpool uh, seems to be doing in terms of his future. Uh, someone who's been, a, I think, very, very significant in this uh, fairly torrid season for Liverpool in their defence of the title. And you have information regarding the player and uh, a possible move um, to uh, La Liga. Yeah, like a very important player for Liverpool during his five seasons. I think you can say he's a pivotal part of the team that brought the Premier League title back to Anfield for the first time in uh, three decades, or well, brought the Premier League title to Anfield for the first time in the and the English League title for the first time in three decades, and winning the Champions League. Um, Two hundred twenty-five appearances across his five seasons at the club. This season, the only teammate who's played more Premier League minutes than Juan Aldum is Andy Robertson. So even though he's been in this situation for an entire season of question marks over whether he would uh, carry on at the club uh, beyond it. And last summer, Barcelona wanted to sign him, tried to sign him. Um, Ronald Koeman making him one of his, his priority requests when he arrived at, at Camp Nou and no agreement being made because Barcelona did not provide the transfer fee that uh, Liverpool were looking for. So he's, he's been used by Klopp to that extent, even when there's been a question mark over his future. Information I have from Barcelona is that the deal is now agreed. Um, he has uh, signed a pre-contract with the club and he will be a Barcelona player in the summer, um, which I think is important uh, so it's a signal of their faith in Koeman, um, whose position was in doubt when the presidential elections started and who has, uh, I think, gained the faith of Laporta with recent results and the way he's handled Lionel Messi. And we've done a, a long podcast recently where Graham Hunter talked about Koeman's successes as a manager of Barcelona and his, his failures. Um, but this is going to be the first signing of the of Laporta's second uh, presidential era at Barcelona. Um, there's been a bit of briefing, off-record briefing, nothing on record from the Barcelona end that the deal isn't complete. I'm told that is because they didn't want this information to come out at this stage because they still have their season to complete. They still have trophies to compete for. And obviously the fact that bringing in a 30-year-old midfielder uh, as the manager's choice, um, investing a significant amount in the contract to bring him there uh, is not good news for some of the current midfielders at Barcelona. And this is you know, a club that signed Miralem Pjanic um, for a substantial fee in the summer. And the club where there's been a lot of question marks about uh, Sergio Busquets' future. So um, 
I think we have to wait a bit longer for this to become official, but the information I have from the Barcelona camp is that it's done. Wijnaldum will be leaving Liverpool and he'll be a Barcelona player for the next stage of his career. Interesting, Duncan, um, in terms of this very transient phase in the market with regards to um, how players move and uh, how clubs decide with regards to recruitment in the sense that um, signing a 30-year-old isn't necessarily hasn't been the trend in the last five years or so. There's always been a concern and a priority about resale value. Uh, look at Donny van de Beek's move to Manchester United. Uh, it's about the fact that he is a very promising talent, uh, one to be developed, uh, played, and then, of course, uh, has uh, a potential uh, profit to be made from him. Now, Vinaldum obviously will not be signing a contract with Barcelona uh, much beyond four years, if, if even that. Uh, therefore, the resale value uh, is not going to be uh, very high should they decide to sell him. Uh, and also I'm thinking here about their interest in Sergio Aguero. Uh, again, no resale value. But what you do get is guaranteed quality, experience, and players who hit the ground running and know what they're about and don't need to be coached or encouraged into their roles. So therefore, what you're getting is, is effectively the ready-made product. Okay, uh, the money you spend in wages um, is going to be quite high, but what you don't have is the transfer fee. And of course, Aguero comes in that category as well. It does seem to me that, again, in this um, unique financial and economic environment that football finds itself in due to the global pandemic, that this could be a new trend in terms of uh, recruiting players who are ready-made and able to come into the team, perform, and okay, you know, you, there is no, as I said, resale value, but they do actually, their value is the fact that they will perform immediately for you and um, and give you um, that value in their performances rather than uh, in uh, any kind of future transfer deal. I'm not sure it's a new trend. I, I think you you will see clubs and you, and clubs are looking for free transfers because their resources are limited. So avoid the the transfer fee element um, and just pin it down with the player. Barcelona signed Pjanic last summer, um, who was 30 at that stage, albeit it was a deal that was designed to bypass financial fair play and that they overvalued Pjanic and overvalued um, Artur Melo uh, going in the other direction and allowed both clubs to put um, positive figures on their year's account, which they needed to do to get to pass financial fair play for UEFA and in Barcelona's case for UEFA and for the, the, the Spanish league. Um, I, th I think the element here is that Koeman wants a player who has fantastic availability record. He doesn't get injured very often. 
very good physical characteristics, technically good. Um, you often find Dutch players work well at Barcelona, a history of succeeding there. Um, he, mainly this season, he's been shifting the team towards youth. I think there's a demand at Barcelona that the, the squad uh, looks to La Masia and looks to its own younger players to, to develop a new side. There's obviously been that perspective that the team was physically incapable of competing at the highest level of the Champions League and that's why they kept blowing um, big leads in the Champions League over the last few seasons. You can do it with Wijnaldum and you can also provide a basis around which the younger players can operate, assuming he adapts quickly. Um, but I, I think the most important thing here is it's Koeman's, that, that's the, the player Koeman has called for. Um, he has been available, they've been working on it for a long time. Um, I think it's also interesting that Liverpool have decided not to to match um, and, and not to retain the player. And, and Wijnaldum himself, when talking about this, has mentioned that his family really loves being in Liverpool um, and that he has a huge affection for the team and that it'll be, it'll be difficult for him to leave if he has to leave. So um, Barcelona have come up with a more attractive proposition than Liverpool from Wijnaldum's perspective. That's what we, we can say about this because that's where he's decided to go. So the transfer story of the summer will definitely revolve around two strikers, the two most prolific strikers, or two of the most prolific strikers in Europe, uh, one being Kylian Mbappe at Paris Saint-Germain and the other being Erling Haaland at Borussia Dortmund. It's our information that, interestingly, Paris Saint-Germain have expressed a formal interest in Haaland with regards to recruiting him in the summer, although this would be dependent upon Mbappe not signing the new contract that he has uh, been offered and uh, his agent and father are currently negotiating. Uh, this being the case because Real Madrid are uh, known to PSG and it's the case that they are uh, trying very, very hard to uh, do a deal this summer in the knowledge that, of course, Mbappe is out of contract uh, a year in the summer in 2022. Uh, they want to wrap this up and recruit the player. Haaland, as we understand it, is second on that list of strikers that they want to recruit. Mbappe, of course, being the priority um, in this situation that currently exists. Karim Benzema, uh, who has had a very good season and obviously a stellar career at Real Madrid, uh, is seen as a declining force and someone who can't be depended upon, even though he has been an incredible servant to the club in terms of his goal scoring. Uh, if that to be, the, to be the case, then uh, Mbappe certainly is the future as far as Florentino Perez, the Real Madrid president, is concerned. And Erling Haaland uh, is the second choice. It's our understanding as well that Haaland's father, who effectively acts as his representative, uh, the former Manchester City player Alf, uh, has been in touch with Paris Saint-Germain 
regarding a transfer. It's also the case that Maurizio Pochettino, the current PSG coach, uh, is a big admirer of Haaland and probably does not expect um, Mbappe to be there next season and therefore is preparing or at least expecting to have to replace him in the summer. Uh, Duncan, this is something uh, that you've been reporting on on the podcast for the last uh, nine months or so with regards to Mbappe and his contract situation. Uh, with Haaland, he has obviously suitors elsewhere, uh, certainly in the Premier League as, as much as anything else. Would you see him preferring a move to uh, Ligue 1 or preferring a move to the Premier League, which of course, if Mbappe left, would leave PSG in a bit of a strange situation. Well, he's, he's in a very strong situation in that, as you say, a lot of the major clubs in, in European football have expressed an interest in signing him. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wants him for Manchester United. Chelsea are looking at the possibility of signing the player. Manchester City, although they don't see him as the perfect fit to Pep Guardiola's system, are also examining whether he is the centre forward they go for in a window where they need to replace Sergio Aguero. Um, I think there's a lot of clubs looking over their shoulders at other clubs and trying to assess whether Holland is the right uh, man to get and to get him ahead of the, the opposition. We told you in the last podcast that Mino Raiola has an interest in trying to move him to Real Madrid uh, amongst all those suitors because he's trying to develop a relationship with Florentino Perez that has been broken in order to facilitate um, a move for Paul Pogba to Real Madrid. So that's going to be a factor here. When it comes to Paris Saint-Germain, they've been trying to get Lionel Messi. Um, Neymar has been encouraging that move partly because he was keen to see um, his rival Kylian Mbappe leave and he felt that uh, Messi arriving at Paris would accelerate the, Mbappe's departure because financially, from a financial fair play perspective, not because of the money available to Qatar, they would find it difficult to give Mbappe the same level of contract as Neymar is about to get. Um, but... Laporta's election as president has tilted it, uh, the balance of probabilities in favour that Messi will stay at Barcelona, sign a new contract there, which leaves um, Mbappe in a different uh, decision-making role. What Real Madrid do is, of course, important. Um, we've told you in the podcast before that uh, of the clubs that are looking at Mbappe, the ones he has an interest in are Manchester United, um, Liverpool in particular, Real Madrid and Barcelona. Those are the four clubs that he has identified as, as potential candidates. I think Liverpool have an opportunity, should they choose to pursue it, to try and convince Mbappe to come to them rather than Real Madrid. But the big question mark there is, are FSG prepared to spend the kind of money required to take Mbappe from Paris Saint-Germain, not so much in the transfer fee. Um, PSG have been indicating that they would look for a, over 100 million euros this summer with, with one year to go. Whether they'll be able to get that is, is another matter. But in terms of the wages, because Mbappe and his um, 
entourage are looking for a salary that will put them on a par with Neymar, if not above, and that would be way beyond um, Liverpool's current structure. So I get the one thing you can say about the striker market this summer is there are a lot of big names on it. We've got the two biggest players in the history of the game, Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo as, as factors. We've got two players who have been identified as their um, heir apparent uh, in Haaland and uh, Kylian Mbappe on the market. You've got a decision to be made over Sergio Aguero. You have Sadio Mane and Mo Salah um, not entirely happy with their situations at Liverpool and the possibility that they get um, involved in this merry-go-round of strikers. There's for, for a summer in which COVID is such a factor, in which financial resources are such a factor, it's, it's fascinating that we have this lots of the top strikers in the world in play and a situation where sort of the one the move of one is likely to trigger moves for the other ones it's an intriguing situation duncan where a player um expresses an interest in joining a particular club uh in this case mbappe with liverpool um you would have thought that given his previous history in agreeing a deal to join Real Madrid, that Liverpool wouldn't necessarily be his first choice. But as you have consistently reported, for some reason, Liverpool is on his radar with regards to his next move in football. He likes, and, he likes Liverpool as a club. He likes the Premier League. He likes Jurgen Klopp. I'm not saying it's his first choice, but I'm saying he's very does, clear does with very clear with his friends that Liverpool is a club he's interested in playing for. I th- I thought it's because he liked the Beatles, but <laughs> I, could, I, I could be wrong in that. He's he's a bit that, young, that, maybe. That one's not been mentioned to me. It might be a factor as well. Love, love, love. Um, so <laughs> it's it's just interesting because say historically, and and it's not that uh, you know. Um, long ago that he had agreed a deal in principle to join Madrid uh, and leave uh, to go there. So the fact that Liverpool has become a factor in his decision making does make it interesting. But it makes it interesting for another reason, that is the future of Mo Salah. And as we reported in the pod last week, there is an expectation at Liverpool that one, if not maybe more than one, of their front three will leave the club in this summer window and Liverpool are not averse to cashing in on uh, one of their so-called star players uh, in terms of freshening up the side and of course at the same time uh, making the financial transaction with regards to bringing in a new striker uh, more easy on the club's budget. Uh, although I doubt that Salah stroke Mbappe in terms of a um, straightforward kind of equation of uh, fee uh, is necessarily the case. I'm sure Mbappe will cost more than uh, Salah will to another club. But at the same time, uh, as you said, this the the the, the merry-go-round that is the transfer window of this summer in terms of strikers is going to be fascinating with regards to you know who moves where and why look there 
there is also an interest from Qatar, um, the nation state that owns Paris Saint-Germain and Mohamed Salah, for very obvious reasons. He's the most popular player, uh, football player in the Arabic world, maybe most popular sportsman. Um, they, I think you have to include them as contenders for Salah's signature, especially in a market where only two clubs have proper resources to throw at transfers, Manchester City and, and Paris Saint-Germain. Um, he has not been first choice for this, um, but we are talking about a situation where Liverpool know and have been planning for the exit of Salah or Mane down the line when the right numbers came in. We've seen Salah give interviews um, to the Spanish press um, where he is interested in playing for Madrid or Barcelona, talking about his interest in, in playing at Spain at one point. There's, you know, we've talked in, about this in detail. It's no coincidence the moves that Salah has been making um, and it's going to require either a transfer or a new contract for Salah at a certain point. It has to be resolved at some point. So, yeah, I don't think you're wrong to include him in the this possible array of, of, uh, of moves in the summer window. Um, and he is not, shouldn't be excluded as being an option for Paris Saint-Germain now that it looks like Messi isn't going to happen. And, uh, and they have this Mbappé problem to resolve. Well, I'm sure all of you, as I am, my transfer juices are already flowing uh, for this summer uh, on the basis that we're going to have some major deals done uh, after the damp scrub that was a January window, uh, although that was no surprise. Uh, but clearly there is a lot of business to be done this coming three months in the summer of 2021. This is the first Transfer Window podcast of the week, which of course means we will do heroes and villains. And I am very much, very much liking Duncan's choice of hero, having looked at the footage that he is about to describe to you and uh, we of course uh, advise you to go and find it for yourself but Duncan will do a great job uh, as always in describing it when he quotes you his hero of the last few days. Look, This is a very personal hero of the week um, because <laughs> it's based on something that Andrew Zaniesta did playing for Vissel Kobe um, actually more than a year ago um, but the video was came up in, uh, in my social media feed this week and it's the first time I'd seen it. And um, it's not so much for the pass, which is uh, quite incredible. It's a 50-yard... Sublime! Yeah, Migoto, as the, as the commentator says. 50-yard 50, 50 first-touch volleyed pass to, uh, to his teammate Furahashi Kyogo, who uh, then passes on for quite a tasty finish from uh, Tanaka Jr., um, it's worth watching in itself, but it was more uh, for the reminder of, of what Japanese football commentary sounds like because they include the, the J-League commentary soundtrack and that just uh, took me back to my time uh, where I started as a football reporter. First league I covered was the J-League and um, just the, the phrasing, it's like Koko kara iniesta no one touch no pass, mi goto desu ne kore. You just 
if if you've been in Japan and you watch Japanese football, you uh, and you hear something like that accompanied by football like that, it's uh, that made hero of the week for me. Seems a lot more interesting than uh, yeah. Well, you know, he just crossed it in and I stuck it away. <laughs> which uh, tends to be the level of football uh, analysis in uh, the UK. But, you know, that's another thing altogether. And, and uh, of course, uh, Duncan, a uh, hero, certainly of mine, and probably of yours as well, the great Archie McPherson, he was someone who was much more interesting and colourful in his commentary on the game, having it swept away. And uh, it's a stramash in the box. So, um, yeah, if any of you don't know Archie McPherson, then please look him up on YouTube. Uh, he even makes a reference to Apocalypse Now during an old firm uh, cup final uh, where there's a riot on the pitch. Um, so, yes, uh, do look that up and find your entertainment there. So my uh, villain... Uh, as it is my turn again to do the villain uh, is our old friend Gary Neville who still hasn't accepted our invitation Duncan to come on the podcast and talk about his old mate Ole Gunnar Solskjaer but um, having sacked Richie Wellens uh, his uh, coach at the club he part owns uh, Salford City uh, nine days after winning the EFL trophy uh has been accused by of much greater people than me or uh, of his MNF partner uh, on Sky Sports, uh, Jimmy Carricker, um, with regards to the sacking, because of it, two years ago, it was the same Gary Neville who, and I quote, the scary th- thing is that a large percentage of people now actually support these sackings as they've become accustomed to it. How can you build a football team without getting two to three years? A rule change is required. <laughs> I, suspect, I suspect that particular phrase might be cited in the tribunal. <laughs> to moderate sackings of managers mid-season in their first year at a club. This is Salford City who have sacked three managers in six months. Gary Neville, again, we invite you to come on the the podcast uh, and talk about that particular decision as well as your continued support for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, those are our heroes and villains of the week. Duncan, anything to add to Gary Neville? Oh, look, he sacked, uh, sacked Graham Alexander um, after he'd taken them to the EFL Trophy final, um, sacked him when they were fifth in League Two and still unbeaten, uh, then sacked Richie Wellens, um, after nine days after he wins said EFL trophy final, um, and then bring in another manager, Gary Bohr, who's only there till the end of the season at, at this point. Um, just, just reminds me of Gary Neville, um, responding to me on, on Twitter when I, uh, queried his, uh, his refusal to criticism said Uli Gunnar Solskjaer and uh, he said he, I'm pretty p- consistent with managers um, indicating that he, he feels he doesn't criticise managers and, and is supportive of them and as you say how can you build a football team without getting two to three years well seems like nobody's going to be allowed to build Salford City um, with Gary Neville as the co-owner. Oh. <laughs> 
So, Gary, um, <laughs> with that, we uh, leave it with you to um, get in touch. Come on the podcast, uh, as many of our listeners uh, have um, supported and are very, very keen to, to see the Castles v. Neville showdown uh, in terms of Solskjaer and Man United and everything else. Please do engage with us uh, in all the, the usual ways. Leave a five-star review on iTunes. And also, if you're listening on YouTube, uh, turn on all notifications and you'll be first to hear when the new podcast lands. Get in touch on the media, social media platforms. That's at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Duncan is on Twitter at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. And of course, we love to get your comments and, of course, respond as well. We will be back later in the week with the second podcast. Until then, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.